I thank you, Lord, on the strength of that trust that we can say yes with joy. When we hear you say come, we can come. When we hear you say go, we, we go. When we hear you say wait, we wait. When we hear you and know all of your blessings, we can receive in joy. And I pray, Father, that, that we know that as a body, that you are showing us the trust that we can have in you all over the world, individual by individual, that we make up your body. And I thank you for how you're moving us about. And I pray, Father, your special anointing and and blessing upon Becky and Joel as they speak to us this morning. And I thank you, Lord, that you're opening up to each of us in in your way and to them to learn from you more of what beautiful trust we have in you, that you are our trust. Bless your name, Father God. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Worthy is the Lamb. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. There are different ways to get to know people. You can meet someone after church and talk to them. You can invite someone over for dinner and spend some time with them. The men who were on the retreat uh, shared about how they had come to know people in a new way. The pastoral search process is a way of getting to know someone also. In fact, we've been approached by some of the singles asking us to expand this for their benefit. <laughs> I've, I've told my daughter Beth Ann that when she's 29 and ready to start dating seriously, <laughs> that uh, I have some ways that I can help her. Week after week, you've heard our pastoral search committee uh, talk to you about the resumes we reviewed and the process that we've gone through. The process is one in which we feel like we've gotten to know the best and we've searched to find the worst about an individual. We've asked men very personal questions and then we've tried to verify their answers to those questions by asking their friends. And if we could find someone who wasn't a friend, we asked them. In this process, we feel like we've gotten to know a number of men. We've gotten to like a few. And we want you to meet someone this morning who, as a pastoral search committee, we feel we have come to love. I could give you statistics about where Joel and Becky are from and what they've done. And some of those you've heard and others of those are available. You heard some of those Wednesday night and some last week. But statistics don't really flesh out who a person is. And so what I'd rather do this morning is to have you greet them and ask Becky and then Joel to come up and share something with us of what God's been doing in their lives. Becky? Let me start out by saying it is really a privilege to meet brothers and sisters in Christ. And I have 
thought about you all since the day we heard about you all. Um, we heard that some people in Florida bought a skating rink on Dog Track Road. <laughs> and some friends of ours who are aware that we were interested said, oh, hunters, you would love those people. <laughs> it's, it's really been exciting to be Joel's wife, and that's who I am. God called me to be his wife. I accepted Christ when I was 12 at church camp, and it was more out of a, to be perfectly honest, you will go to hell, young lady, if you do not. And I said to myself, ooh, I don't want to live there. So I did. <laughs> I thought it was a wise decision. But God, bless his heart, has taken that decision, made partly out of fear, and he has transformed that and is constantly filling me up with encouragement that I can share with other Christians to make him more of a part of their lives. We have three sons. Joshua's 10, or will be soon. Isaac will soon be 8, and J.D. is 4 years old. And with Joel as a father, I think that one of my priorities is definitely to raise them in an atmosphere where they can grow up to be strong Christian men. And I tell you, I sense in this place such an outpouring of God's love and his Holy Spirit. And I, this is not in order. Have you noticed that? I'm just a little nervous this morning. <laughs> uh, I wanted to share with you that my call to be his wife was a very definite call. Um, I had prayed for the man who would someday be my husband since I was uh, 12 years old. I had said, you know, Lord, whoever you've got out there that you want me to be a wife to, please bless him, protect him, and draw him close to you. And so when I turned around in church on a Sunday morning after my brothers, who had misled me numerous times on, you've got to meet this guy, <laughs> I saw Joel coming down the aisle, and I said, this is the guy. I knew it. Now, Joel didn't know it as fast as I knew it, but I knew it. But see, I was more ready to hear it because I'd been praying for him all those years. And um, I guess what I want to share with you today is just that I do believe so much in the scripture verse found in Ephesians 3.20 that God in all his glory can use us in such a mighty way beyond what we ever dare to dream or even ask for and that he can work beyond our highest hopes, our highest prayers, our highest desires, and our highest thoughts. And I sense in this room that he can do that through, through a loving body of people. And I do thank you for the opportunity to be here with you today. And I wonder if you might bow with me in prayer as we pray before Joel comes up to give us the message. Heavenly Father, Please bless Joel this morning as he brings your word to us. Speak through him. Open our hearts that they might be receptive to what you need for us to hear so that our lives can be closer to yours because of his words. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I thought about what I was going to say today for a long time. My first inclination was to give you my Christian testimony when I had received Christ and what the Holy Spirit was currently urging me to do as far as turning the rest of my life over to His dominion and His power. I hope someday that I'll be able to share that with you, but God led me in another direction for this talk. Um, rather than 
just a talk to reveal to you where I am in my Christian life, um, God um, led me toward a scripture that I want to share with you, and maybe it can do more than just let you know about my spiritual journey. And, and it will do some of that. It'll, this will not be a pure sermon sermon. This is going to be more of a sharing time and some of the principles that I have, I have come to realize in my life. But I hope through that that this remains a worship service dedicated to God and you and your individual Christian lives will find some principles that will also aid you. If you will turn to Genesis chapter 11... And we will read chapter 11, verse 31. And we will read through Genesis chapter 12, verse 4. Sarai, his daughter-in-law, the son of Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Let me tell you one of the biggest temptations I have in my spiritual life, and that is to pause before I get where God wants me to be. I heard some marvelous sharing this morning. And one of the things that I heard, Dewey came up and shared that he had been dying on the vine spiritually, and then Gary confirmed that with a testimony also of that had been happening in his life. I come from an inheritance of spiritual descendants. And I have temptations within myself, seeds within myself, of folks who paused halfway to the promised land. There are two kinds or three kinds of pauses in the Bible that are denoted in the Bible. One is a pause of refreshment and spiritual rekindling. And, you know, Jesus did that in the mountains. He did it in the, you know, when he went across the, the sea in the boat. The first thing he did when he got in the boat was just fall dead asleep. Because he needed that time to pause and be refreshed and renewed. And that's a good kind of pause. And then there's another kind of pause that Jesus tells us about. It's a pause for strategy. When he said, who of you would go and try to build a big tower without first sitting down and counting the cost? Who of you would go out and fight a war without first seeing the forces that are on his side? You see, it's a pause for strategy. And those two kinds of pauses are okay, but there's a third kind of pause that's very, very dangerous. And it's a pause for comfort. It's a pause because you've grown lazy and because you've run out of energy. It's a, call, it's a pause because you've got everything so good that you don't see the need to go on. That's what I'm afraid of. And that's why I'm here with you today. That's where I'm at in my life. I have come to a place where everything is glory and nothing is stretching anymore, and I need to be stretched. I don't want to pause halfway to Canaan. Now, we need not judge those folks who have gone before us and have paused. They might have perfectly good reasons. I don't know what Terah's was. Maybe Terah developed a disease and he could not go further. Maybe maybe there was some personal mix-up in his life, and, and I have no right to stand before you and condemn anyone in their pause. I have no right at all, and neither do we as a body. But by the same token, we have no need for imitation of those folks. We've got to go on. God calls us so that he can stretch us 
He loves to stretch us. Now watch. Let's go back to the Word. The 12th chapter, the first verse, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Let's pause for strategy. Abram was called to be different. Abram was called to be different. Now, personally, that's never been a problem for me. I've always wanted to be different. And from what I hear in Northland, that's not been a problem for you either. (laughs) And that's great. When I was in college, I had this problem with dress. I ever, you know, there were two kinds of folks in college. I went to a high university, and this is in the middle of the 60s. And you remember in the middle of the 60s, some of you, there was the preppies and there was the hippies. And so I tried to be a preppy for a while, and I said, everybody looks like this. Tried to be a hippie for a while, and said, everybody else looks like this. I couldn't figure out a way to be different. So you know how I dressed? Up. I did. I was the only kid on the campus of Ohio University that wore a suit and tie to class every day. Why? Because I wanted to be different. Not only did I want to be different, I wanted to be so different that I was different from the different. I hear that this church is like that. You know, you've been on a, a search for pastors, and I've been on a search for churches. And I have talked to churches all over this country, and every one of them is unique, and God is using all of them to His glory. But do you know what happened inside me when I heard about a roller skating rink on Dog Track Road? <laughs> you can't imagine. I immediately began to salivate. A dog track. Dog track. A roller skating ring. Oh, I thought, glory. Listen, any church can smell like incense and flowers. How different is that? That's not different. God called Abraham to be different. Abram at that time, he said, You've got to go from that which has been familiar to you. And it's going to hurt. There's going to be a rending of relationships there. But I have something that I want to show you. Go back to the Word with me. And from your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, I want you to see something about a promise of God. The promises of God come true. And whether they come true in this life or they come true in the next life, they come true. You know what the biggest fear in my life is? That God is going to call me to a land and halfway there I'm going to get stuck and I won't see it in this life. And then you know what I'm going to have to face in the next life? I'm going to have to go before the judgment throne of Christ. And he's going to say, Hunter, what'd you do? And I said, well, I was real happy and I was real comfortable. And Jesus is going to take me over and show me that land. And he's going to say, this is what you could have been. And you never were. This is a truth you could have taught and you never did. This is a person you could have helped. That, for me, is judgment day. I'm not afraid of God showing me what I've done. I know what I've done. 
And I'm not afraid of God showing me all the sins in my life, the sins that I've committed. I know what those are, and I've presented those to him. You know what I'm afraid of? I'm afraid of him showing me what I haven't been, what he had planned for my life, and I never was. I don't want to stop. I do not want to stop. And you know what? He's got a plan for this church. Hear me. He's got a plan for this church. And if this church stops halfway there, guess what's going to happen? I don't want that. There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 3 that talks about standing before the Lord on judgment day and the the person is saved, but all of his or her works are burned up. That must be a horrible thing. I mean, you're going to live with God forever, but to know that for the 60 or 50 or 20 or even 10 or 5 years that you lived on this earth and God had something great for you to do and you never arrived there, that must be a horrible burning feeling inside. I don't want that. And I don't want that for you either. Go back to the Word with me. It says this, To the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation. Now, there's two words in there I want you to see. We're not only be called to be different. We're called to be great. And we're not only called to be great, we are called to be a nation. It didn't say, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great leader. Never said that, did it? Said a great nation. I feel so privileged at being here this morning and hearing these men share. And then hearing Linda get up and pray over these people. I feel so privileged because there is a body life here. There is a nation here that is beginning. It's been seeded. And it isn't depending on a single leader. You know the, the kind of church I dream about? The kind of church I dream about is a, is a church that is so alive for Jesus Christ that the mention of the pastor comes at the end of a long paragraph when somebody says, oh yeah, and their pastor isn't bad either. It's the kind of church I dream about. I will make of you a great nation. Now let's talk about that word great because we don't want to get confused about that. God calls us to greatness. He doesn't just call us to be different. We could go down the street with bananas out our noses if he called us to be different. We'd say, well, this is, this is what God wants us to He calls us to be great. And let me tell you why. Because he wants people to see what makes that greatness. Now, there's a spiritual principle here. And the spiritual principle is like unto the scientific principle. Nothing can be greater than its source. Ex nihilo nihil fit. Nothing comes from nothing. Therefore, you have to have a source at least as great as the effect. Now, let me tell you a little story here. This is a little joke. If Mengel and Rooks haven't told you this, you probably haven't heard it. If they have, bear with me because I love the story. There's a story, and it's about not not believing your eyes at first. You've got to trace down the real source of the power. There's a story about this guy down in Georgia who pulls up his little one-horse town, pulls up in their only four-lane highway going through this town, and he pulls up to the stoplight, the only stoplight in town, and he's sitting there, and he's sitting in this great, beautiful, shining, chrome car. And up beside him on a little moped pulls up a kid named Tater Wilson. 
And Tater, it just turns red. Tater looks over at this car, and he climbs off that moped, and he goes over this car. And the guy's looking at him. He's, he's seeing this coming. He just presses the button, and the window goes down, of course. And Tater looks in that car. He said, oh, my. He said, what kind of car is this? And the man looks at him and said, I forget what kind of car. We'll, we'll say Mercedes, whatever. He says, a Mercedes. Tater says, oh, my. He said, how fast can this car go? And the guy says, real fast. And Tater looks at him and says, listen, mister. He says, if you ever die, you remember old Tater Wilson in this car, will you? And the guy kind of grins. He says, okay, I will. And Tater starts back to the moped. The light turns green. The guy pushes up the window, and he thinks to himself, I'm really going to impress this kid. So he floors that car, and that car goes screaming out, laying a strip of rubber, and he's going 50, and he's going 60, and he's going 70, and he looks in his rearview mirror, and here comes Tater Wilson in this little old moped, and he's gaining on him. He's looking in the rearview mirror, he can't believe it, his speedometer says 100 miles an hour, and Tater shoots past him on the right-hand side. He looks out the windshield. Tater's coming back. He shoots back on the right-hand side again. He looks in the rearview mirror. Here comes Tater once more, gaining on him. Only this time he's heading right for the trunk. And sure enough, bam, just hits him right square in the trunk. The guy pulls over. He runs around back. He says, Tater, Tater, is there anything I can do for you? Tater says, yeah, you want to unhook my suspenders from your rearview mirror? Now, the point is, I don't care how it looks, you aren't any more powerful than what you're hooked to. You understand? And what God wants, what God wants a, ch a church to be is so powerful that people are going to say, what in the world are those people hooked to? I will make of you a great nation. That's a promise. And we are his descendants. And then it says this. Go back to the word with me. I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that. Two of the most important words of the Bible. So that. God not only wants people to know who his people are hooked to. But he has a purpose. He has a function for greatness. So that. You remember in the Bible where it says, it talks about greatness and it talks about um, um, the mustard seed that's planted in the ground and pretty soon it's the smallest of all seeds but it becomes the greatest of all bushes and a tree. And everybody stops there. Don't stop there. Read on. You know what the next two words are? so that the birds of the air may come and nest in its branches. You see, God's a practical God. And God never makes greatness just for greatness' sake. He makes greatness so that others can be blessed. You know why? Because God cares as much for the people outside these walls as He does for the people inside. And God's heart hurts when they are lost and when they're broken. And God's heart hurts when they don't have the assurance that they can have. You remember the, the, the parable about the shepherd and how he has 99 sheep, but 
What does he lament over that one little lost sheep? And he goes after that sheep. We can never be proud of our greatness because God gives it to us as a sacred trust so that all of the families of the world might be blessed through us. God is a practical God. Jesus said, our master said, if you would be the greatest of all, you got to be what? The servant of all. I make greatness so that people can be served. I'm on a spiritual journey, and so are you. And one of my abiding temptations is not only to stop before I get where God wants me to be, but it's to become proud. I heard that, I heard that word so many times this morning. And to believe that God is just trying to make me into something. God's not trying to make me into anything but a tool for somebody else. And I can safely say the same thing for your own lives. What are the so that's for your life? When you run down your list of blessings and you say, thank you, God, for blank, what is the so that that you put after that? It's an important prayer principle. I know, God, you have been the source for this blessing so that what? What will happen from it? Very practical. Put a circle around those words and circle them in your heart and circle them in your prayers. There was a bishop in France, true story, bishop in France, a Bishop Fenelon, and he was walking along the road one day. This is back in the 18th century, I believe. He was walking along the road one day, an old dirt robe. He didn't have all of his robes on, just had his cassock on, his alb. Um, and he ran into a poor peasant farmer. And that poor old fellow was just standing there crying. And he looked over and he said, my brother, what is wrong? And the poor peasant farmer said, sir, I have just lost my cow. It is my only milk cow. And I don't know where it is. And the bishop says, let me help you find it. But before I do, let's get down here and we'll pray that God helps us be sensitive to that other life force and track it down wherever it is. So they got down, they prayed, and then they got up and they split. And they went off looking for that cow. And they found it. That old cow was out in the middle of a stream on a little island. He was afraid to come come back across the stream. I don't know how they got there, but they let him off. They let him back to the farmer's house. The bishop sat down and he enjoyed milk and bread. And the farmer asked him who he was. And he said, I'm Bishop Fenelon. And he was so honored to have him there that day. And the bishop got up and left. But for years after that, when his friends would come and sit in that chair, this is the way he would describe Bishop Fenelon. That is the chair that the great Bishop Fenelon sat in. He helped me find my cow. You know what made that bishop great in that man's eyes? Wasn't his title. Wasn't his robes. Wasn't his stature. It was that he helped him find his cow. Thank you, Lord, that you have made me a bishop so that I can look for a cow. You understand how God works? God is so tremendous. 
And just as he makes people great for a purpose, he switches things around and makes his different people great so that they can be servants. Let's go back to the Word. I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse. And by you all of the families of the earth shall bless themselves. Folks, we can never, ever rest until every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. There isn't a person living in this world that does not deserve to know that and to rest in it and to bask in God's love. That's why God made them, so that they could have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. And that's our job. And if we don't do it, who will? Last, last sentence. Am I rushing? No, it's just about 12 o'clock. Yeah, I'm, going, I'm right on target. Well, hey, this is all right. I'm passing. I'm not running over or anything. Now here, fourth verse, very important. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Just cut it off there. I just want to use those words. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Abram learned that day and stepped out in faith that day because he knew something that was very important that all of us should know. That obedience is the only solid foundation for activity. You remember what our master said? He who hears these words of mine and does them shall be like a man who built his house, what? Upon a rock. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. If God is calling you to spiritual pilgrimage, everything you do that escapes that spiritual pilgrimage will someday disappear. But every step you take, no matter what the price, to go on that spiritual pilgrimage with Him will be solid and will last forever. One more story and then I'll quit. True story. 1875. Erie Railroads are building a railroad across Ararat Summit. 1875 this is. And all of a sudden, a quarter of a mile of track disappears in a quagmire. I suspect it was a sinkhole. When I was going around with Brother McCoy, he was showing me the sinkholes here. That scares me. <laughs> but that railroad poured 10,000 carloads of gravel into that quagmire. And 500 trees into that quagmire without any appreciable difference in the firmness of the ground. Only when that railroad discovered a slab of rock 160 feet below the surface of the earth and only when they drove four 
pylons or pillars down into that rock, did they have anything solid to build that track on? We can never forget that everything we do, no matter how much effort we put into our Christianity, if it is not following and being obedient to the Lord, it's all for nothing. But if we take even the smallest step, no matter what price it costs, it cost $300,000 in 1875, but afterwards they had a solid track. No matter what it costs us to follow God, we'll have a solid track. Will you pray with me? Father, we simply ask you to make your way clear to us. We have not yet begun to see what you would have us be. We know it's out there someplace. But we know whatever it is, we shall be more like you. And your son, Jesus Christ. And that's the confidence we have. Help us to trust and obey. And be happy in Jesus. We pray as people who love you. In his name, amen.